1: Offer valid on select AK systems that's through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? This is The Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on vSIN.
4: And we begin The Lombardi Line presented by Ben MGM Dave Ross alongside Wes Reynolds here at South Point Casino in Fabulous. Still classified as downtown Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. We've discussed, I'm not, I'm geographically challenged sometimes, Wes. But I still think it constitutes downtown Las Vegas here at South Point Casino. Uh, we got another great show on the docket today here in the Lombardi line. Of course, Steve Mackin is going to join us later on this hour with his fine numbers. And then Gamblu, Lou Finnecaro is going to join us in hour number two. My goodness. And I I know we're going to save it for Lou. But when you look at UFC 276, mm-hmm. shout-out, first strike, first look, did the podcast yesterday with my producer extraordinaire, Britton Hess, that is now available wherever you download and listen to your podcast. We gave a sneak preview of it. It's not just the two title fights here, Wes, but when you have a pay-per-view mm-hmm. of this caliber – you got Hall of Famers to be littered up and down this thing. It's gonna be one hell of a night come Saturday. Yeah, night.
5: not just the card, but obviously it is now an event in International yeah. Fight Week. So all over town you've got different appearances from fighters and autograph sessions. It's almost mm-hmm. uh it's a little bit maybe before they first did it several years ago. It still kind of functions a little bit like a convention. Almost, it is like an MMA convention, uh, you know, different exhibits and different sponsors. I know the sponsors are a lot more regulated mm-hmm. now by UFC. So you don't have as much guerrilla marketing from the outside, but yeah, looking at the card, you got two big title fights, uh, you know, in in the main events, and then Robbie Lawler on the card, huh, the ruthless and, one. and uh, the, a couple of young prospects, Sean O'Malley, yep. usually in his customary like opener of the main card on the pay per view <laughs> slot. That gets what, everybody hyped. Yeah, up. that's pretty much what he's been. Uh, Donald Cerrone and Jim Miller, kind of a an old school like a champions tour UFC fight. Guys yeah, uh, going to the Hall two. of Fame one yes. day once
4: their careers are yeah, done. Yeah,
5: so you've got all kind of it's it's yeah. it's busy out here. There's all kind of appearance. Everybody they fly a lot of the fighters in that. That come in that might not be on the card. Mm-hmm. Do obviously promote future cards, and then you know just kind of talk about their careers. And it's a big media doings out here, and obviously ESPN's going to be out here all over it. Big yep. weekend here this summer.
4: I, I don't want to, you know, you never want to like uh, oversell and then not get what you're trying to sell. But I will say that you might want to watch First Strike on Friday. We might have some uh, interesting guests. Look, we always have interesting guests mm-hmm. and great numbers. Guys like Lou Finnecaro is going to join us today and also on Friday in First Strike. But we're going to try to grab some of those guys this week because, as you mentioned, it is it does have an international fight feel to it. So you do get some big names that are around town. We'll see if we can track down some of those in advance of UFC 276. But we'll break down that card in earnest in our number two. Uh, very quickly, you know, we were going off the air yesterday. And we thought Rafa Nadal was in trouble uh, on the green grass of Wimbledon, and I think right as we were getting done with the show, Rafa was pure mm-hmm. Rafa and just turned that four set around and got things turned back around in uh, and finished off that match in grand style. Anything grabbing your attention today as we get uh, through the first week here and closer and closer into the seconds and third rounds well, here? Well,
5: and you did mention uh, Rafa Nadal. By the way, that draw at the bottom has cleared out a little bit for him because the guy I did kind of like from a future standpoint that I thought could make a run as the Canadian Felix OJ Elias. Yes. He gets knocked out in the first round. So now, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at Nadal, who had that tough four-setter yesterday against the Argentine player. Mm-hmm you know, like you look at his quarter and it's pretty clear now, not a lot of guys that you think would really trip him up. And then going in perhaps to the round of 16 might have an American like Taylor Fritz or perhaps a Jack sock. You still got Sitsipas, pass the four seed yes. down there. So it's a pretty clear draw, really, for for Rafa Nadal, as it is for Novak Djokovic. By the way, the number three seed Casper Ruud, he has now been eliminated in the second round. So you have four of the top five still: Djokovic and Nadal, Sitsi Boss, and Carlos uh, Birdman of Alcaraz. But. <laughs> You know, it's opening up, I think, for a lot of these guys. And there are going to be upsets. And I think you're re- you're really seeing it kind of on both sides of the draw. The number two seed Annette that got beat today in the second round. Uh, Garbine Mogarusa, who is a top nine seed, she got eliminated. And then, of course, uh, yesterday, the match after the Nadal match was uh, Serena goodness. Williams against Harmony 10. And uh, I wish I would have taken my own advice because I said, I don't know if I like her to win, but I like Harmony 10 plus the games here. Yes. That I think it's going to be clear close and you just kind of saw it yesterday look it was a year ago pretty much to the day where serena williams played her like last official singles match and you know it, it's kind of tough and i never want to close the book on somebody prematurely Mm-mm. but serena williams looked every bit of 40 yesterday
4: i saw I your thought. tweet i didn't take personal offense to it Were you like you hate to see the greats get old Mm-hmm. <laughs> but father time is undefeated. Yeah. And that's kind of the point when you watched Serena yesterday. And by the way, as a
5: player, no disrespect to Harmony tan. Yeah, right. But that is the player that Serena would have been, you know, 6'2", 6'3". Yes. You know, maybe even as close as two or three years ago. And really struggled with her. And, yeah, showed a lot of fight. But it's like she shouldn't have to fight against that hard against this player. So uh, Serena Williams now out in the first round. And there's speculation, okay, is this going to be the last time at Wimbledon? Who knows? I know she doesn't want to necessarily go out like that. But, you know. Eventually, everything catches up with you. Like you say, father time is undefeated, and uh, she found that out yesterday.
4: And by the way, hopefully you were watching, listening yesterday. We told you to take Tan in the first set. And, of course, that came to fruition, and you got good plus money at that. Remember, Serena was about a $3 favorite yesterday going into that match. And then I thought, well, she'd get her sea legs back, and then she'll go ahead and turn things around. And then Serena, of course, wins the second set. Then she's up to love in the tie break, and you're like – I felt like a genius. Mm -hmm. Like Serena's going to do exactly what we thought, slow start, then get it going. Props to Tan. She did hang in there as well in that epic tiebreak in the third set, and she moves on to the second round. Very quickly uh, here, as we look ahead to today's action at Wimbledon, and we talked a little bit about this match yesterday, and I think you gave a really good analysis of which way to wager this. It's Big John Isner, the American, against Andy Murray. So he's going to be there, Henman Hill, going to have all the countrymen and women that are going to be rooting for Andy Murray. This price has dropped a little bit since we talked yesterday. And I'm seeing now, Murray's about a a minus 280 favorite. Isner in the comeback is plus 220. So you've seen that that number has been shorted Mm -hmm. overnight. But your advice is maybe play the total games, because we know how tough Isner is to break serve, that if you think he's going to take at least a set, Maybe yeah. you play the the over in the total game Yeah, spot?
5: that that over right now is about 40. I okay. think that's the market low that you could find out there. And that's probably where I'd look. Andy Murray getting a little bit of the support. I think he opened 250. I'm seeing him at some faraway places as high as $3. But it's basically right around that range, give or take, like 10 or 15 cents from the opener at 250. So I do think Big John at least gets a set. I like Andy Murray, by the way, in the match to yep. go ahead and advance. But... Yeah, I would be going over 40 here, and uh, that's the bet I made today.
4: Yeah, it's amazing because even, you know, I'm seeing here, you could bet the first set uh, how many games in total, you know, over eight and a half, you're going to have minus $12. If you think it's going to get, uh, it's going to be a quick one, you can get some good money there under eight and a half, plus $5 there. I can't imagine we get a 6 2 scenario there. But again, there's so many different ways to attack it, but I'm with US. When I look at Murray and Isner just on paper, I say, this feels like a match that's going to go. Deep, 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 and i got to imagine working at a a four- or five-setter coming up in what could be an epic second-round matchup here over there in the green grass of Wimbledon. Okay, let's get to Major League Baseball here very quickly, Uh, and I just want to get your thoughts on what you saw yesterday and how it kind of parlays into today's action. Is there anything that jumps out from a night before and then you look ahead to today's uh, slate of games and say, there's a carryover effect, or is it to you always – just about the starting pitchers, and that's where I have to start. And begin my
5: handicaps. Well, just a couple games on the results last night. Colorado gets another win How over about the that? Dodgers. Yeah. Dodgers kind of, you know, can struggle a little bit in Colorado. And this Colorado team 33 and 42, so still 9 games under 500, but can be kind of plucky and uh look, uh, the Dodgers I think are getting bet today saying okay, they're not going to get swept in Colorado. And that's the
4: thing, right? That that's there's the recency where they go, "All right, Colorado's won two in a row. Mm-hmm. Dodgers have to no, no, nothing has to happen yeah. here." But again, sometimes you do get the feeling of, all right, maybe we're a little bit complacent. We did get the first two. And I know that people, at least the the recreational handicapper, sometimes they do factor that in.
5: Yeah, I think so. Kind of playing the anti-sweep. I actually would lean to Colorado, even though the market's moving against him because Julio Urias, you know, doesn't really historically like pitching in Colorado and hasn't really been that effective. So I'd be leaning that way. By the way, we are going to get uh, an early game here in about maybe 30 seconds to 45 oh. seconds. And that is uh, Milwaukee and Tampa Bay. It's uh, Eric Lauer against Jalen Beaks for the Rays. I did go ahead with the under eight and it's now getting juice to the under about minus 115, minus 120, minus 125. That's one of those things I like to do kind of on Wednesdays. that getaway. Sure under uh, especially early between Milwaukee and Tampa Bay because what you have is you have both teams that got to get on a plane after the game Tampa Bay actually starts a set tomorrow mm-hmm. with the Toronto Blue Jays Milwaukee's gonna uh, and Milwaukee also starts a set. And they go ahead and play Pittsburgh. So I like to play those getaway game day unders, especially when both teams gotta go on the road. Right. And they gotta travel the next day. So you've even seen some seven and a populate, so the market clearly agrees. Under eight between Lauer and Beaks, Milwaukee in the rays.
4: Okay, so we'll keep an eye on that as that's getting ready. You know, it's still even though one year into my Las Vegas experience that time difference sometimes. like Wow, they're getting ready mm-hmm. to start. Oh, that's like now mm-hmm. that game's getting ready to go here between the Brewers uh, and the Rays. We do have some other games going to start in about an hour. We'll get to some of those because again, it is getaway day across the uh, Major League Baseball slate with the A's against the Yankees, uh, Pirates and the Nationals and the Strohs against the Metropolitans. That'll all be up in the next hour. We'll break that down a little bit later on uh, in the program. But again, uh, when we come back, we're going to get into some NFL as well. We mentioned that we're going to have Steve Mackinnon uh, coming up here later on this hour. And Wes, that's going to be a fun exercise. We're going to delve into college football a little bit with Steve and some of the numbers he's seen because you and I talked about it. We're going to talk some NFL uh, when we come back here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can get good numbers now as we sit here at the end of June. You don't necessarily have to wait until we get into August.
5: Well, and it's interesting looking at Steve systems. You know, a lot of this is personnel based based on that's one of the things everybody looks at when they start handicapping capping college football. It's like how many returning starters last year. Everybody had it because of COVID because they all got the extra COVID year. Now you kind of get a little bit more to form this year with the uh, returning personnel.
4: And when we come back, let Let's go to the NFL and try to figure out who we think is going to be the best passer of the year and how that correlates into some numbers that you could play. Come on back. It's decent, the Sports Betting Network. We continue the Lombardi line here on Visa, Dave Ross alongside West Reynolds. And, you know, I was looking up here and you look at the NFL this year and you try to handicap who's going to throw for the most passing yard. Mm -hmm. And you look up and you see that the NFL right now is still conducting they're hearing, if you will, for Deshaun Watson. So we're waiting to hear what the NFL will say. The reason why I bring that up. because So don't bet him there in go. this market. 20-1 to 1 is what Deshaun would be to have the most passing yards here in this upcoming season. That's not going to happen for Deshaun, okay? Like, I just cannot imagine, and it could happen at any time, and if, any, obviously, we get any word that's going to help you with your futures wagers for the Browns, we'll let you know if we get any information today. The league says they're going to try to get this out, try, before training camp starts, That's a full month away, July 26th. Like, I I don't know what you have to do to get to A to Z, but I wonder if this is a a sliding scale for the NFL as they try to figure out what to do with Deshaun Watson, because it feels like we get more and more information, maybe from other accusers Mm -hmm. that keep coming out. So I don't know if they had something set and this is continuing, but it's going on right as we speak today with the NFL and the league offices. So we'll figure out what the fate of Deshaun Watson is going to be, at least in the year number one, as a member of the Cleveland Browns. But at 20 to 1, people, we're just telling you now, please don't do that. Do not wager Deshaun Watson. Yeah,
5: take a pass on that one.
4: Yeah, so let's get to the other candidates that we do believe will be in play for the most regular season passing yards in 22 and 23. I'm a little surprised that Tom Terrific is your favorite at 4 to 1. Maybe not so much that, he, that he's the favorite, but that he's double right. the price of your next nearest competitor, which would be the one, the great Patrick Mahomes. And then you see Manny Stafford there, plus 850. And then Herbert, there's, there's a guy that kind of jumps off the page at you, plus 850. You see, I like to call him super Dak. When the Cowboys are good, he's super Dak Prescott. When he's bad, he's just average Dak, 12 to 1. And then Josh Allen. I wonder if that's being discounted here, 12 to 1, because he runs the football so much. So when you look down the board a little bit, are you as surprised as I am that that Brady won is that big a favorite? And is there anybody else at double digits that you kind of like?
5: Yeah, because look, I mean, Brady still does have Byron Leftwich, but no Bruce Arians mm-hmm. as well, uh, offensive coach. He now moves upstairs uh, into uh, some kind of front office role, I guess. Uh, I don't know if there was tension there between the two, and maybe that's why Tom elected to come back right. or, or what happened here. But yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. I think part of it is the fact that you do have two pretty weak teams in the division, Carolina and Atlanta. So, you know, beat up on those teams, perhaps. But yeah, I thought that that was a little high. You did mention Josh Allen. I think he's a little bit down the board because he's got a new play caller, Brian Dable, mm-hmm. of course, now the new head coach of the New York football Giants. So maybe a little bit of an ad- adjustment there, just kind of looking at that. And uh, the obvious, usual suspects are at the top of the board Brady, Mahomes, Matt Stafford, Justin Herbert, Burrow, mm-hmm. you know, two of the five Super Bowl quarterbacks last year. But One guy I kind of think is a little bit interesting and I don't know where this team is going to finish in that AFC West, but Derek Carr, 12 to one, I would like to see maybe a little bit higher if he could get to like 15 or 16 to one, maybe more in the middle of the market. But this is a guy that we do at least expect whether we know where the Raiders are going to finish. I think that win total is like about eight and a half. And probably they are ranked by most of the experts and most of the media. They'll probably be ranked fourth in a four team division. They sure. won't be ahead of Kansas city. They probably won't be ahead of Denver because of Russell Wilson. And they more than likely won't be ahead of the chargers. So they'll be picked to finish fourth, but they're not necessarily a bad fourth. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's where they're going to finish. But one thing I think that is relatively for certain is that the Raiders are going to be better offensively because number one, you bring in Josh McDaniels yeah. as the head coach. And the thing about daniels i gotta think he is going to be at least a little bit better the second time around as a head coach because remember you know sometimes you get away and especially when you're under the tutelage of the the jedi master there in new england bill belichick it's like you've seen a lot of these guys not succeed out of his out of his tenure and i was always wondering okay why don't they do that And I remember there was a guy, Rick Venturi, who, by the way, coached with Bill Belichick in Cleveland. Rick Venturi is the uh, radio uh, color man for the Colts, Indianapolis Colts Colts broadcast. Yes. And, you know, and he kind of explained that to us one time Uh, we were having a conversation with him. And he said, you know, Bill Belichick just kind of makes you the right. Amount of uncomfortable. Mm. He's not really a yeller, screamer, ranter, raver, you but toes. he keeps you accountable. And when you all of a sudden don't have that accountability every single day, and you got to be the one that holds the guys accountable, that's right. such a different role to play. But nevertheless, I do think Josh McDaniels, the second time around, I would expect that he is going to be a better coach, and I think he's going to have a very good offense here. Look, they brought in Devontae Adams, Derek Carr's best friend. They lit it up out there at Fresno State in their college years. So, he look, I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're running the route tree pretty much every <laughs> single day, and they're going to be fine. Add in the fact that you have Hunter Renfro out of the slot, add in the fact that you have Darren Waller, who... You know, even though it's not Gruden there anymore, I still think Darren Waller is going to get used a hell of a lot and targeted a lot. So, look, the Raiders, I think, are going to be very good offensively. How they're going to be defensively, I don't know. Patrick Graham comes from the Giants to be the new defensive coordinator, as Gus Bradley's now in Indianapolis. So, you've got a new system, at least defensively, but that doesn't matter now. And I guess it does kind of matter when you're handicapping this award, because if your defense is a little shaky, you know, that means you're going to be behind in some of these games and you're going to be throwing the football. So Derek Carr, I thought at 12 to one was a little interesting. I would like to see a bigger price on him, but I think there's a lot of other people that kind of feel like how, how I feel or think like, I think that Derek Carr is due for a really big year. I love
4: that pick. I, I actually, you know, they don't—they haven't run the ball particularly well in in, uh, in Las Vegas here, uh, at least last year with yeah, Josh Jacobs.
5: Jacobs was hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So
4: I feel like that the passing game is set to explode a little bit, and if they can get a little bit of play action and keep honest with the run, it could be a huge year for Derek Carr. I got another name on this board that I really like, and this won't surprise you at all, Wes. And I know our old producer Jacob Roach back when we did the Green Zone last year did every NFL game together. But well, he used to cringe when I would say KC-8. Mm-hmm. But I look at Kirk Cousins, KC-8, 20-1. to one, And you heard what Justin Jefferson said, right? We're a passing team. Right. It's going to be a passing team this year. And by the way, you still get credit for the yards when you dump it off to Dalvin Cook out of the backfield. And they do that an awful lot. So Kirk Cousins, and look, I don't know how you, America, feel about KC-8. But I feel like just from watching him in Washington D.C. as studious as he is, he normally knows what to do with the football. Sometimes mm-hmm. the question is, can the arm get it there? Like, is he's got a big enough arm, but he's not got—he doesn't have a super cannon howitzer for for a right arm. But normally, from the the you know inside the the ears part, he can get the job done. So if he knows where the outlets are supposed to be, if they give him pressure uh, time and he's not pressured all the time, I actually think this could be what Justin Jefferson said. This could be a surprising, sneaky no. passing offense.
5: No, I think it's a very astute observation by you because one thing you got to examine with KC eight this is a contract year. Yes, for Kirk Cousins. So obviously, you know this is a you know what you are get off the pot or you know or you know <laughs> what or get off the pot I should say. I was about Can you to believe it that up seven
4: there. years is already up yeah. from his DC days. And then he goes to Minnesota. And remember, he's the first guy really to get that guaranteed money, mm-hmm. right? The, the contract fully guaranteed. And people went, for Kirk Cousins, that contract right. now is a bargain. Right. right. When he got it then, though, people were just, sho- just shocked. Like, oh my God, you gave Kirk Cousins all this money? Yeah. I actually think he's lived up to the contract. He, now, he hasn't lived up to it in terms of wins and losses and taking this team deep into the postseason where I think they thought they could be. Remember, when they made their great, great run, it was Case Keenum. That was the quarterback that year Mm -hmm. uh, and the miracle in Minneapolis and those sort of things. So I know people are, are torn on him, but, Wes, it feels like the offense is set up from Minnesota to have a big year. Most of that's going to be through the year.
5: Well, I certainly think so because there's a new identity, I think, offensively in Minnesota. It is not Mike Zimmer who is always more of a defensive yeah, that's guy. Right. I of course, spent all those years as the D.C. down in Dallas, but new head coach that would be one Kevin O'Connell who was the offensive coordinator out there with the with the Los Angeles Rams uh-huh. and, you know, on that McVay tree. So we know that they had a pretty good offense. Kevin O'Connell, it is Wes Phillips as the offensive coordinator. I think O'Connell is going to be the final play caller, but uh, Wes Phillips, you know how Wade Phillips with his Twitter handle was son of bum. Yes, I don't know if Wes Phillips is his son of Wade because he is the son of one <laughs> Wade Phillips, it uh, should be. former Dallas Cowboys uh, head coach, former bills head coach, longtime, great defensive coordinator. So uh you look, there is a new offensive identity. And these guys, I think are going to run a want to throw the football a little bit more. You not only you know have Jefferson, but you know, you have Adam Thielen. Mm-hmm. You have uh, a couple guys underneath that I think are pretty good slot guys. Uh, the kid Jalen Naylor out of Michigan State could be a sleeper up there. You know you can run the ball with Dalvin Cook, and I felt Alexander Madison was very good he was. in relief, and you could throw it to Cook out of the backfield. So, I think that this offense is going to be better. This might be the best offense in the NFC North, including, uh, you know, better than that offense up there at Lambeau Field Whoa. in Green Bay, Wisconsin, with uh, you know them looking for new weapons. I know that sounds sacrilegious to say that, you know, against Aaron Rodgers here, but i think minnesota is going to be a better offense this year simply because just the new mentality new coach uh, now a new gm uh, Kwesi adofu mensa Mm -hmm. takes over there so just an entire new organization that the owner ziggy wolf has put together and i think it kind of came time for a change you know where mike zimmer was like it was okay but we didn't get to the next level so they're hoping that kevin o'connell with that super bowl ring in Los Angeles with the Rams are gonna, is going to go ahead and do that for
4: him. Just remember, when Boy Genius took over for Jeff Fisher with the Rams, look at the numbers of Jared Goff the next year. They mm. went up dramatically. Let's see if the same thing happens with Casey 8 in Minnesota. Come on back. Steve Mackin's coming back with us. We're talking college football right here on in the Sports Betting Network. The VEASAN Summer Special is here. For only $19, you get everything VEASAN has to offer from now to the end of July. Sign up today, you're going to get VEASAN's Daily Best Bets, including Adam Burke's Daily MLB Best Bets, NFL preseason coverage, premium articles on golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. So if you want that full VEASAN experience, which features a Daily Best Bets email, every edition of Point Spread Weekly, use of our betting tools and a live video stream whenever you want it. The cost is only $19 to be a subscriber through July 31st. So sign up now at VEASAN.com. Slash summer. Back alongside Wes Reynolds, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN. Always a pleasure each and every Wednesday to be joined once again by Steve Mackinan. You can follow him on Twitter as I do at Steve Mackinan. Does a great job as our Point Spread Weekly Editor. And Steve, Wes and I have been chomping at the bit to talk some college football with you. And as you went through the numbers this week, Some of them are rather fascinating, and some of them might be uh, some pretty good news I know from my buddy Brian McFadden of Florida State. because I want to get to one of these, and it is there have been over 53 teams over the last nine seasons that you've seen that have entered losing seasons despite outscoring their their opponents the year before. Now, out of those 19 that brought back 13 or more starters, including the quarterback, the collective improvement of this group – was about 13.4% straight up. Those teams combined to go over 52% ATS. That's good news for the Ville and really good news for Florida State. That is deep diving, Steve. But what the premise feels like to me, you get the quarterback back and you get a lot of players back from a team that was competitive despite losing. It bodes well for the next year.
3: Uh, yeah, Dave. I, I don't even know if I need to explain it anymore. <laughs> you, you, you basically hit it right on the head. This team was pretty good last season. They were competitive. Uh, they outscored opponents, and yet they had some bad breaks that maybe caused them to go to go under 500. So uh, the typical improvement is about two games. So if you add two games, uh, two wins to both Florida State and Louisville, those are over 500 teams. It, it looks like the programs are starting to head upwards again. Then.
5: Steve, one of the things that I think everybody now that they're starting to get in that college football prep Arguably the first thing they look at is how many returning starters we have. And Mm -hmm. I know last year, you know, that was kind of a little a little hinky because everybody had returning starters because of the (laughs) COVID year and the extra scholarship players these teams were able to have. Now it seems like at least you're slowly getting a little back back to normal where not everybody has everybody back, and there is still maybe an advantage for returning starters. But Dave just mentioned a system that Florida State and Louisville qualified for. They also qualify for this system, as does. Louisiana Tech, but I want to focus on Texas because Texas is a team, as I wear my little bird orange blazer, no (laughs) coincidence there, I would say, but Texas is a team that everybody's kind of talking about. Second year under Steve Sarkeesian, are they going to challenge in the Big 12 before they dip off to go join the SEC? We know uh, uh, young Manning, young Arch Manning, now has committed uh, for for next year, but they still got a guy by the name of Quinn Ewers, who is also returning Mm -hmm. home uh, from Ohio State. So what what do you make of Texas? And explain this system a little bit in, in terms of that returning personnel.
3: Yeah, you know, you touched upon a lot there, Wes. Now, one of the things that I talk about in this article and I've talked about in the last few weeks as I have uh, dove into the college football prep is the difference between last year and this year is going to be massive. You talk about the huge amount of returning starters last season. This year, there's almost a record of uh, inexperienced going to be on the field. So uh, I think we're going to, so last year before the season, I called for maybe a, if you wanted to call it an upset of the college football playoff, maybe some teams that were on the fringe, bringing back a lot of starters. Uh, and we saw that with Michigan and Cincinnati reaching the playoff uh, this year. I think we're back to normal. Uh, you got to look at the, the teams with the talent, the four and five star guys there. I, I think there's just not enough experience throughout the country that's going to maybe upset the apple again this season so uh, that's one great thing or one thing that I think people need to really focus on heading into the season now regarding Texas uh, the, the system I think you're basically referring to is this one says there have been over 70 teams over the last nine seasons that have lost one or fewer games by 20 points or more in a season but still finished with a losing record in other words they were up competitive almost every time they hit the field. Mm-hmm. So it shows a good sign of uh, maybe some things to go. The average improvement of this group, or of the 41 that brought back 14 or more starters from that group, the average improvement is about 3.2 wins per season. You add three wins to Texas, along with Florida State, Louisiana Tech, and Louisville who qualify for the system, and you've got a much different-looking Longhorn program. The recruiting's been uh, been good, obviously, with the Manning coming in, a lot, of, a lot of big names coming in from the class this season. Uh, I think there's a lot of positive momentum for the Longhorns.
5: Dave, uh, I thought Steve actually kind of touched on something there. It's going to be very important over the next year or two in seasons. It's especially, I think, going to be more important in college basketball. I was talking to a uh, friend of mine who covers national recruiting scene for college basketball Mm -hmm. and these coaches went out and watched these like 2023 kids and they're like this is the worst class we've seen in years and one of the reasons why is because of COVID. Right. Because these kids didn't have games. These kids didn't have full summer basketball or AAU seasons. I wonder... how much, if at all, that's going to affect football. Well, but I think it very well could, and to Steve's point, that's why I think you're seeing a lot of the chalky teams. It's like it's hard to get past the Alabamas yeah. and the Georgias and the uh, and the Oklahomas and the usual suspects there up top where you're not going to get maybe that non-Power 5 or that team a little bit off the radar that is going to be in the playoffs.
4: Well, to that point, gentlemen, and I think, Steve, this plays right into one of your uh, transition systems that you have here, that basically if you had – Let's say an experienced quarterback the year before, and you didn't turn it over a whole lot, and then all of a sudden you identify some teams that are going to go to freshmen and young quarterbacks here that that might be a recipe for disaster. Can you explain that for us?
3: Yeah, I mean that's essentially what my college football stability scores, a thing that we talked about a few weeks ago, really deals with. I mean. You're looking at, I, I put a lot of precedence on the quarterback position and my stability scores, I give it four points. You either get zero points or four points, whether you have your quarterback back for the season. So that's a pretty big deal when the the scores, but the maximum score is 19 points. So uh, 20% of the stability score basically comes down to whether you have your quarterback or not. Now. We talk about you're saying these uh, 2023 20, kids are going to be the worst uh, recruits. Ever. We'll see how two, two, four, seven sports grades that mm, uh-huh. uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, if you've got a situation where teams that are used to getting three, maybe pushing into the four star recruit and they're only getting twos and threes now. Things could really separate over the next few seasons uh, just based upon that.
5: Yeah, exactly. And plus the fact that maybe some of the guys that are rated top 10 that are five-star guys, especially like in basketball, might be four-star guys the year before. <laughs> so you get some guys a little bit inflated in terms of the talent. But, Steve, uh, looking at one of your other systems here, one of the teams that the talent really doesn't seem to subside, at, you know, no matter who is the coach, is at Oklahoma. Mm. And we now have Brent Venables, a former defensive coordinator there, was with Davos Winnie at Clemson for years. But Lincoln Riley now at USC. Brett Venables comes in and takes over, brings in Jeff Levy from Ole Miss to be the offensive coordinator. Seems like a new team here at Oklahoma uh, in terms of the new quarterback and a new system. You think that there could be some decline for this team, though, in 2022?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, they qualify for a couple of my systems on this article this week that suggest a a bit of a decline this season. Now, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say this team's going back to 500 or anything like that. But you a little bit of decline might be nine and three. You know right. what I mean? That that's unheard of for Oklahoma in recent years. And it certainly wouldn't be out of the imagination with the fact that they're going to be changing over systems. Uh, you got probably a more defensive minded uh, mindset going forward with Venables taking over. And uh, obviously they lost their starting quarterback to uh, USC. So, I mean, you got, you got a ton of, well, and their other quarterback who was a five-star recruit too to South Carolina. So they got, a, they got a lot to make up for, uh, they're still obviously got a, a, a stable of talent there, but uh, it, it could be an issue or where other Big 12 teams are, uh, may be able to compete a little better with them this, this season.
4: Got about 90 seconds to go with Steve Mackin. And to that end, I want to carry that out a little bit here, Steve, because you've identified teams that, quote-unquote, got maybe a little lucky last year, right? And so you look at teams like Kentucky. You mentioned uh, we talked about Oklahoma, even Oklahoma State here with Mike Gundy and the Cowboys. Explain what that what you mean by that, that kind of lucky factor that could back, come back to bite them the next year.
3: Well, the way, the way the system reads is teams have brought back 12 starters or less from a team that was fortunate to get five or more close wins of seven points or fewer. So, uh obviously you had to have a few breaks to get that many close wins. Uh now obviously this leads to usually a lot of wins, so the natural reaction is it's going to fall a little bit. The average drop has been 2.6 wins per season or 14.8%. Kentucky, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, san diego state and tulsa are the teams on this list of uh then maybe be a little careful as you're analyzing the season win prop uh, props available for these teams
4: yeah i mean i think that's a, it's a great way to handicap some of those win totals for those teams when you look at how they were able to get those wins the year before not saying that they're lucky per se but to your point steve they play a lot of close games and sometimes you do get regression uh the following season steve always appreciate the time and the information my friend appreciate you we'll catch up again soon all
3: right, thanks, guys. Thanks, have good, Steve. Have a
4: good show. Great stuff, as always, from Steve Mackinac. Again, follow him on Twitter at Steve Mackinac. And you got to check out uh, the VSIN weekly newsletter, the mm-hmm. daily that comes out. It's absolutely fascinating information and great stuff for you, college football fans, maybe to get a jump on some of the good numbers out there. When we come back, Major League Baseball games getting ready to start, Wes. We're going to pick your brain on some of those. Come on back. It's The Lombardi on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. into a win with the king of sportsbooks. Place a one-game parlay wager with at least four legs on any MLB game. And if all the legs of the parlay hit but one, you're going to get your stake back in free bets up to $25. So log into your account or download the app and sign up with BetMGM to take advantage of this offer. All season long, just opt in to the one-game parlay insurance promotion. Then place a one-game parlay wager with at least four legs or more of any MLB game. If you miss only one of those legs of the wager, you can receive up to twenty-five dollars back in free bets. Major League Baseball trademarks are used with permission. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be twenty-one years of age or older to wager. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification, and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued is job withdrawable free bets or set credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call one eight hundred GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Nevada, New York, or Washington D.C. Back alongside West Reynolds. I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line here on Vison in our own Stormy Bonitoni she posted on Twitter yesterday mm-hmm. that she rolled a 210 bowling now look i'm just going to say that my high game seven baggered end at 230 that's the best i've ever done in my life now it got me thinking that like the best bowling movie of all time and and this is not debatable america it's kingpin It's not the Big Lebowski, and I know there are a lot of Big Lebowski stands out there, Wes. But if we had Brian Ortega, who does all of our Oscar work here at Visa, and you can actually wager on the Oscar. You gotta give like to me. Kingpin's got to be a minus two hundred favorite man, over the Beagle Bowls.
5: Man, we're gonna start talking bowling here, and Jimmy Vicaro is gonna pop in the studio here at the <laughs> South Point and be talking about Andy Vera Papa <laughs> and Earl Anthony. Earl Anthony, uh, the great Earl Anthony, all the legends, Weber, all the old oh, legends. Uh, you know when bowling was on, Chris Shankel, uh, the great Chris Shankle, and he the, did the, it
4: on the, uh, he, Chris Shankel. Of course, has got the cameo in Kingpin, mm-hmm. which again, it to me me, helps for anybody that loves bowling.
5: They're trying to bring the bowling back a little bit on Fox, Rob Stone, uh, okay. uh, the soccer man there on Fox, also the bowling man.
4: Pete Weber. I
5: mean, it was hey, a, a PDW. It's
4: just amazing. So like, bowling is such an underrated sport, but I'm just going to throw it out that the Kingpin is in fact the best bowling movie of all time. Let's get to some of the action in Major League Baseball. You mentioned we have one game underway right now. Yes. We just saw a great catch in this Brewers and Speaking Rays game. Speaking of
5: bowling, that was a uh, center fielder Jonathan Davis of the Milwaukee Brewers bowling into the wall. My Brandy Randy Arrasarena of a home run. Uh, we are currently in the bottom of the second down at the Trop. Uh, foot off the bag, that runner is going to be safe. But... Milwaukee did get a home run in the uh, top of the second. Telez uh, goes deep mm-hmm. to center. So currently one to nothing. Brewers over the Rays. I recommended and I did bet the under at eight in this game, the uh, getaway game day. But uh, they were showing to Rosarena. he was watching oh. on the little iPad or tablet or whatever he had there in the dugout, like, how the hell did he catch that ball? And he was shaking up. They did have to stop play for Davis for about two or three minutes, uh, shaken up, but held on to the wow, ball to we'll stay in the game. So uh, Brewers, and Rays right here. Brewers 43 and 33, the Rays 40 and 33 and uh, Milwaukee uh, continuing to hang on right now. Mm-hmm. They're in the central only a half game up of the Cardinals, but you look at that division. It's a two team division. Third place is the pirates uh, just about 13 games That's back it? already. So, uh, yeah, you're going to see a two-team division. Meanwhile, the, Ray, the Rays got to get going a little bit. Rays all the way down there, even though they're seven games over 500, the Rays right now are in fourth place in the East. So, I think a lot of that is is because they just hadn't been healthy at the plate. I think right. the pitching's been, you know, okay, certainly good enough. But they've just had so many guys out of that lineup right now. They just got to get healthy in order to kind of stay in this race. Maybe it's a little bit much of an asset to stay in the AL East race, but it's certainly in the wild guard now that we do have two wild card spots.
4: You know, a couple things. One, Randy Rosarena, to your point, did something that is pretty easy to do. He ran hard out of the box, and that mm-hmm. ball is dropped, and you're going to see this play all right. over uh, your TVs today because it's a great – I mean, it's a great catch. He'll be up there for one of the catches of the year so far in Major League Baseball – He just ran hard, and that would have been inside the Parker if that ball is jarred loose. And probably 90% of the time, it would have come loose. Mm -hmm. So he did the right thing in the baseball play and just kept running until it was a definitive out, which it was. Two, you mentioned the AL East, and at seven games over for the Rays, they're in fourth place. Dave Roberts came out and said, NL West, NL West is where it's at. It's Mm -hmm. the best division in baseball. Every damn night, we're out there competing. We got the Rockies and obviously we're good. And we got the Giants and we got the Padres and he made it sound like it was, a, it wasn't a discussion that the NL West is in fact, the best division in baseball. Do you take umbrage with Dave Roberts with what he said? Cause you just made a, a very good compelling case that the AL East is the best. division. Yeah, I, in baseball. I
5: think they're about neck and neck personally, uh, because look, uh, you you have I guess kind of one bad team in the East, and right now that would be the Baltimore Orioles. Yep. But then you look, they're only six games under five hundred. They're so competitive. They're not, they're not a total drag here, no. but. I think Arizona has certainly been relatively competitive, just seven games under Colorado, nine games under. So, you know, they're not down there where they're like 22 and 48 or something or something right now. So I think pretty darn even there at the top. I know the West gets all the ink because of the Dodgers and, and the, the Padres and the giants. Certainly were very good and made the playoffs uh, last year and are still seven over 500. But I just think that the East, because the Yankees look, they weren't talked about like they were going to, <laughs> you know run rough shot over this division this team is 55 and 20 Unbelievable. by the way right now uh if you need it so uh yankees keep that streak going uh they've been uh pounding around the a's pretty much uh, all week by the way that's going to get started in about 15 minutes uh yankees uh well over a three dollar mm-hmm. favorite over uh cole irvin in the oakland a's oakland uh really has come to earth they are one of the dregs 25 and 51
4: and how would you handicap that? Because I know a lot of people are going to say, all right, I don't want to lay the 315 mm-hmm. or now up to 340 as this number is just inflated uh, here at Ben MGM. And maybe I want to play the run line at minus yeah. sixty, but it's still juiced heavily to lay that run and a half. Is there a way that you'd handicap this either in the total, if you don't like the side and that huge number? The
0: only way
5: I would bet this is uh, yet another getaway early Day game yep. under because both these teams got to go on the road. Oakland goes back out to Seattle to start a set tomorrow and the New York Yankees uh, go ahead and play the Houston Astros who they played this weekend. It ended up being two to two. Remember the Yankees uh, were getting no hit. It looked like they were going to get <laughs> yes. no hit two days in a row. Then all of a sudden they go ahead. Geo Stanton breaks it up. Yankees tie the game and then they go to extras and uh, all rise Aaron Judge continues his MVP candidacy three run shot on Sunday afternoon to go ahead and split with the Astros. Well, now they're getting the Astros, who are still in New York, and the Astros got to travel, by the way. They have a night game uh, up there in uh, up there in City Field in Flushings. Actually, a day game, I should say, mm-hmm. because they're going to get started here in about 15 minutes, but I would look toward the under here. Eight and a half, and you're certainly seeing it get bet that way. There are still some flat eight and a halves in the market, but basically what you're seeing, I think bet MGM's 115. Rest of the market is about 120. It is Cole Irvin and Jamison Tyone, as I was saying, so so that's probably the way I would play it. I certainly wouldn't really want to lay the Yankees, no. even though the A's are pathetic, because it's like they've got the Astros coming up here, and that's going to be a big series. And I think there's a little bit of there's a little bit of rivalry, oh, yeah. I think, between those two teams because they're probably thinking, okay, we're going to face each other in the American League playoffs at some point. So, uh, by the way, the Astros they got to get through uh, their game today a little bit. Uh, in a little bit here, 15 minutes. It is uh, Justin Verlander, Taiwan Walker are going to be going JV about a dollar 40 favorite at BetMGM. I'm seeing a dollar 35 also Mm -hmm. in the market against Taiwan Walker who kind of, you know, got hit around a little bit last time, maybe a little bit of regression coming for Taiwan Walker. And this is another day game under you've seen get bet from eight and a half to about eight. No play for me, though, in Flushing, Queens this
4: afternoon. Old matchup, uh, 1986 National League Championship Series with the Astros and the Metropolitans very quickly. One other game I want to get to here. That would be the the Pirates against the Nats as they get ready to go. You got a good start from Patrick Corbin. You get a win yesterday if you're the boys from D.C. Paul Espino is going to go on the bump today uh, for D.C. Mitch Keller is going to go. For the Pirates, and right now the Nats, solid favorites here, about minus $1.45. You see that total at nine. Any leans either way here?
5: Yeah, uh, very tough to handicap this one with uh, two bad teams. Right. Uh, Mitch Keller, uh, one and five and twelve starts. You look at his numbers: four ninety-five on the area, a little bit better on the xPip though at four thirty. Paulo Espino, two fifty-seven ERA, but I think those numbers are deceiving. Almost two runs bigger on the xPip. So just when I get that kind of variance. I would be looking, even though the market is going the other way, I actually kind of lean to Mitch Keller here at $1.35, and this is not a guy I like to bet very often. I usually like to be on the other side of him. And uh, Pittsburgh, Washington, getting a little bit of action also. A lot of these day games are going to get action to the under. Pittsburgh goes back home to face Milwaukee, and then uh, Washington, I do believe, goes on the road for their – or actually, no, they do not. They have a day off, and they have the Marlins coming in. But you see a lot of these day games, like I was saying, they get bet to the under. So uh, if I had to – I think 135 is a little rich for a Speedo to, to uh, lean, so maybe split half and half, mm-hmm. first five and full game on the Buccos. I like
4: that uh, handicap very much. All right, when we get back, I cannot wait, because we're going to talk about the John Deere Classic. Remember, we got the Open over there at St. Andrews in a couple weeks. There's also an event going on, Live Golf. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. All the golf you can handle coming up next, right here in the Lombardi Line on these, these sports betting networks.